0: our series in the book of ephesians there we are the book of ephesians and this week we are going to continue so you can turn if you're not already there to the book of ephesians we'll be in chapter one today and several weeks ago my family went to the outer banks we have any other outer banks people in here no one person okay I had actually never been, so I'm not like one of those crazy outer bankers, you know, that has a sticker on the back of the car. But I understand now why they do it. Uh, I was eager to experience it, and, and we were out on the beach fairly early every morning, thanks to my kids, their early risers. And uh, it was just absolutely gorgeous. It was beautiful. Uh, There's so many things to take in, the, the innumerable grains of sand, the varied shells that are constantly washing up on the shore, the lapping the crashing of the waves, the smell of the salty air, the crabs scurrying back and forth to their holes, uh, the pelicans that are surveying the water for a little early breakfast or brunch uh, for those unfortunate fish. Um, try to explain that to your two-year-old. Uh, <laughs> but there was so much beauty to just take in, and I, all of that was from the vantage point of my chair, as I'm, you know, sitting on the beach looking out, just making, making observations. Well, we spent most evenings in, you know, kids went to bed, we hung out, played games. But one night we went to see a lighthouse in Currituck. So that was the county, I believe, that it was in. And when we arrived, it was still open. We thought it might be closed. So we had a decision to make. We're going to take the 220-step trek up this lighthouse, and uh, everybody wanted to go, so We did. And uh, as beautiful as the beach was from ground zero, it was breathtaking from the top of the lighthouse. So I don't know if you've ever been to the, to the top of a lighthouse before, but we could see for miles and miles down the shoreline. I mean, it was, it was unreal. It was like being in, a, in an airplane. We saw the ocean, uh, we saw the sunset, you know, glistening, uh, in the, or the, the sun glistening over the ocean. And we watched the boat sailing in the distance and birds flying actually below us. But the best part, I think, was being able to walk around the circular observation deck on this lighthouse. We could see the island from multiple directions. uh, And we could see the eastern shore, but we could also go to the other side and see the western bay. And the the aerial view of this island was just stunning. And I'm convinced I would have enjoyed it a lot more had my two-year-old not been sticking his head through the... uh... (laughs) through the iron spindles on the observation deck and and threatening to throw himself off. Uh, Yeah, that happened. So, feeling a little bit like an irresponsible parent at that point, but uh, anyway, it's beside the point, not part of the illustration. So, in a way, that's really what Paul does to open this letter in chapter 1. He grabs us by the hand, and he leads us up the steps of this lighthouse to see the breathtaking view of the whole island, so to speak, of what God has done for us in Christ. He leads us around the observation deck. He tells us to look in multiple directions at the the varied benefits that we have uh, in Christ, that God has given us in Him. And each of these places that we see as we're walking around the deck, it's in brief. You know, you can't, like, when I'm on the ground level at the beach, I could do some exploration. But really, what we're seeing is just overview in brief, brief summaries of, of, the, of this breathtaking view of what God has done for us in Christ. And we could take, you know, the rest of the semester to explore each one of these, but Paul's purpose in the opening chapter is to give us the big picture, the aerial view, if you will, of, of what God has done for us in Christ. He wants to dizzy us with a sampling of these spiritual blessings that God has provided for us in Christ. So that's really the goal of these first 14 verses Of chapter 1. Remember, as we step back, we know the whole book of Ephesians is written to give us these grand blessings, to show us the riches that we have in Christ, and to teach us how to use them in this life. That's really the first half of the book, and then the back half of the book is to teach us how to use them. So, as we get going, we're going to take the next four weeks and really unpack these 14 verses, but what I want to do right now is just read the entire section and, and make some observations for you as we get into verse 3 this week. So let's read this this opening praise of Paul, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be, or blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, before we keep going, he offers a blessing to God, we're going to talk about that, and then he, he, he gives us a, a bit of a, uh, you know, of an understanding into why he's blessing God with this, with this clause that begins with who. So, blessed be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, the reason, we could say, because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this every spiritual blessing, that's the theme of this, these next few verses here. He's going to detail that out now, beginning in verse 4. So here's generally, Paul is exuberantly excited about the spiritual blessings he's received and that we've received in Christ. Now he's going to enumerate those, if you will, in the in the following verses. So listen for these blessings. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I mean, just from there, you're, you're already kind of dizzy. I mean, that's a lot of prepositional phrases, right? Uh, a lot of participles. But Paul is just taking us through some of these blessings that we've been given in, in Christ. He keeps going. Verse 11, In him we've obtained an inheritance So, he gives an opening in verse 3 of, of every spiritual blessing, and that's the fuel for Paul's praise. And then in verses 4, all the way through the, what, I, what we just read, he lists out multiple examples of those blessings. He takes us around the observation deck and says, look here, look here, look here, look here. And it's all showcasing the salvation that we've been given in, in Christ. And so, over the next few weeks, we'll be focusing on this passage and I'm calling the series Every Spiritual Blessing because that's what Paul tells us that we have up front. It gives us the aerial view of some of these most principal blessings that we have in the following verses. So today what we're going to do is focus on verse 3. Focus on verse 3, this, this opening verse. And in this verse, Paul sets the, tra- the trajectory for the rest of this chapter from the verse. So it's important that we understand what he's saying here. In this verse, Paul is, is celebrating God. He's praising God. And he's praising him for how he has blessed us in Christ. So, for our purposes today, we're going to look at two elements of Paul's opening celebration of God. There's two elements in this verse of Paul's opening celebration of God. And it's, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, Paul tells us about the benefactor. Uh, that's our first element. And he also tells us about the benefits from this benefactor so the the benefactor and the benefits and that's that's where we're going so let's look at at the benefactor here in verse 3 the opening part of verse 3 he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ paul opens this letter in a bit of an unusual way normally he writes you know, he kind of thanks the lord for the believers in a particular location But here, it's it's sort of like he's he's just erupting right out of the gate, just like a volcano, just praise for God. His heart was full of praise. And the first thing out of his mouth is blessing. So, as we get into this text, what comes to your mind when I say the word blessed or blessing or bless? Just think about it for a moment. Is it preceded with a hashtag? No, yeah, maybe that was the first thing I thought of, uh, and all the jokes that come with that. Um. Okay, it it could be if you're from the South, a prerequisite for sharing a, a juicy morsel about somebody else. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that Joe, God bless him, he can't ever seem to get this act, you know, his act together, you know, whatever. It's like, whoa, yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's rewind that, okay? And. In a more serious way, the, the so-called pastors on TV, they've almost ingrained success, as the world defines it, into this term of blessing, right? So the prosperity preachers, as we call them. Um, and they, they equate this blessing with our, our self-worth. We're special. God wants to bless us. We need to believe in ourselves, think positively, yada, yada. We'll obtain this blessing from him in the form of worldly success. Or maybe you think it's doing something nice for somebody else. You know, like, oh, I just, I just want to bless them. You know, I just want to bless them. Uh, that's Yeah, it's a legitimate understanding of, of that word. But according to Scripture, that's our question. What does bless actually mean? We don't want to just come up with our own notions. What, is it, what does it actually mean? Well, in the Bible, uh, there are several different uses of this word bless. And just, um, this is an oversimplification, okay? So just hang with me really depends on who's who's doing the blessing okay if it's from humans to god like we have in this opening of the verse from humans to god bless means praise okay bless means praise so you think of psalm i think it's 108 or 103 maybe 103 bless the lord O my soul right what what is the psalmist telling his soul to do to praise god why? Don't, you know, don't forget all of his benefits, is what, what he goes on to say. So, bless means praise, and the praise of the Lord and in this context. It's the overflow of a heart that perceives the value of the Lord and ascribes worth to Him. That's so what it means, to bless. Just think about it. When we praise something, it's because we perceive its value, its worth. That's the essence of worship, is to perceive something to be valuable and then assign the appropriate reverence to it, along with the pursuit to get it and then keep it, right? That's the essence of worship. You can think of it as worth You know, you're ascribing worth to something. And just think about, in your own life, something or somebody that's easy to praise, right? It just, it just flows from you. Why, why is that? Because you perceive there's inherent value in that thing or person. And that's what Paul's doing here. As he begins his letter, he's letting us into his heart to see what's most valuable to him, what motivates him to praise the Lord like this. And it's going to be the same thing for us. If we want to praise God like this, consistently, reverently, we have to have these same motivations in our heart. But before we get to those motivations, I want you to notice one thing about the God he's praising. He calls him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And before he just kind of glossed over that, he, notice what he doesn't call him. He doesn't call him our Father. Whose Father is he? The Lord Jesus Christ. So in just verse 2, if you just skip up a verse, he did call him our Father. But here he calls him the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why does he specify that? I mean, it's true, but why does he open that way? Well, this description echoes a very, very rich Old Testament theme. So, key in here. I'm going to bring, some, bring some background to this. The relationship between God and His anointed king is described as a father son relationship. A father son relationship. You can write down 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 2. 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 2. In 2 Samuel 7, that's, the, that's where we get the Davidic covenant. God comes to David through Nathan and communicates his covenant to David, and, he, and, and really to all of David's offspring, saying, I'm going to be a father to you, you're going to be a son to me. Psalm 2 also echoes that same idea. So what's important about that is the father installs the son to reign on his behalf and with his authority. That's the key, okay? Okay. God installs his human king to reign on his behalf and with his authority. The son represents the people then. okay, He represents the people. Think of David and Goliath. More on this in a minute. But David represents, he fights their battles for them or fought that battle for them. David wins and so do the people. Right? If David lost, so would the people. But the point here is that, that when the son was faithful, the nation would experience blessing. And when the son was unfaithful the nation would experience uh, cursing. They would experience hardship, eventual exile. And during this exile of Israel, God specifically said he would provide for himself a faithful son, which means an anointed king, who would represent the people to do what they were unable to do. This anointed one, or in Hebrew, Messiah, in Greek, Christ, okay, hear, this, hear the connections there. The anointed one, that's what it means. And in Hebrew, that's, it sounds like Messiah. And in Greek, it sounds like Christ. This anointed one um, would come and he would secure the blessings for Israel and the Gentiles. And he would actually bring in this renewed creation. And the prophets kind of take our breath away in the sense that they're saying, okay, this one who's coming is also going to be God. Okay, Great mystery here, Okay, but he is human too, so we can't miss that aspect. So here at the start, Paul is, is keying us into this incredible theme. Jesus, the son, the, the, Jesus of Nazareth is the son to the father, meaning he's the messianic king, right? He's Christ, the Messiah, who has obtained the blessings for us in our place. And Paul's favorite, his absolute favorite shorthand little phrase for this is this designation of in Christ or in him or in the beloved or through Christ. That little phrase in 12 verses, Paul uses it 11 times. 11 times in 12 verses. So I'm not a math major, but that's close to 100 percent. Okay, 11 times in 12 verses. And more on this in in just a minute. We're going to end here. But for now, Paul describes God as Jesus' Father, and not our Father in this moment, because he's drawing our attention to this theme of Jesus' Sonship and the blessing that he's obtained for us. You tracking? Are we all following that? Because that's really important. Okay, so what motivates or fuels Paul's genuine praise here? What's motivating this? Well, he knows the benefits, all right? He knows the benefits. That's, the, that's point number two here. He knows the benefits. He continues this description of the Father, but it's functioning is a reason. So he's praising God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, favorite phrase, in Christ, right? There it is. So, Paul realizes and believes the truth that he has been richly blessed in Christ. He understands the magnitude of it, and he believes it. So what does it mean to be blessed by God? We have to establish that. We've looked at what it means when humans bless God, right? To praise God. But what does it mean when God blesses humans? What about the other way around? So, use number two, when it's God towards humans, it means to provide with enriching benefits or to graciously enrich with benefits, like I have on the screen here. To be truly blessed by God is the absolute best thing for a human that's made in His image. It's the best thing. It's a reverse of the curse. The curse that we've all been under since the rebellion of our very first parents in Genesis 3. This curse involves alienation from God. An unsatisfied life, physical death, and eternal punishment and suffering. That's what it means to be under God's curse for our rebellion. And that is just. We've incurred this curse in our own rebellion against God. It's not just Adam's fault. It's not just Eve's fault. We've participated in that, in that act of rebellion. So for God to bless us then is for Him to reverse our circumstances as an act of sheer grace as an act of benevolence and mercy, it would necessarily involve forgiveness and redemption from sin. It would involve resurrection, because death is a penalty. It's a a form of the curse. It would involve eternal life, unending life, and ultimate satisfaction from knowing and serving the great God that we were created to serve. So a blessing, biblically speaking, then, is one of those rich benefits or gracious gifts from God. And for everybody after the fall, God's blessing is fundamentally a gracious gift, something that's undeserved, and it's the curse reversed. Okay? So in Scripture, the principal blessing for humanity is the presence of God, in the sense of His presence in that it doesn't kill you. Okay? It doesn't consume you. It's His unmitigated glory and goodness dwelling with you, our being able to dwell with Him in exceeding joy. It's what, we, it's what we lost in the garden. It's what was partially gained in the tabernacle and temple. Lost again in the exile. And promised by the prophets that God would one day dwell with you. Now listen. Listen. He would dwell with you through His Spirit. Listen to Isaiah 44.2 in terms of the Spirit and His dwelling with you and the blessing, okay? I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring, says Isaiah, says the Lord through Isaiah. I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring and My blessing on your descendants. So the blessing is tied up with the Spirit, the dwelling of God with men, His favorable presence among us where we're not consumed for what we deserve. That is the the principal blessing of Scripture. And God has promised to make a new covenant where everyone would have His Spirit, everyone would dwell with Him forever, All all of those who come to Him in faith, they would dwell with Him forever in a new earth. Jesus came and as a result of His death and resurrection, He poured out the Spirit upon all who follow Him now. And this is where it's all headed in the future. A new heavens and a new earth where God fully and finally dwells with His people forever. So, the principal blessing is is the Spirit and God's dwelling with, with human beings. This is the preeminent benefit, if you will. And it's not just metaphysical, right? God is returning to raise us bodily, to clothe us with immortality, and to bless us beyond our wildest imaginations. That's what it means to be part of the New Covenant. Now with suffering but glory in the future, okay? And notice how this is one of the first things Paul says about our blessings, okay? They are spiritual. Huh. They are spiritual. Meaning, they are associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit. See that? They're associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we hear spiritual, what do we think of? Non-material, right? It's the first thing I thought of when I read this verse. That's what I thought it was saying. So we've, given, we've been given non-physical blessings, which is true. We have been given non-physical blessings. But that's to imply that there's no material blessings that are coming. And there are. Oh, buddy, there are material blessings that are coming with the kingship of the Lord Jesus when he returns. So I don't think that's exactly what Paul's saying. I think spiritual is shorthand for Paul a way to say that all of our blessings in the New Covenant are signaled by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 of this chapter will support that. Um, We're not going to go there because we'll be there in a few weeks. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit was promised as the principal sign of the New Covenant's inauguration. When He came, when He is given, that means it's here. That's exactly what Peter said in Acts 2. This is the fulfillment of Joel 2, is what Peter said, in the coming of the Spirit. So, I just want you to see that, uh, that this, our blessings then are tied up with God's solution to our most pressing problem sin, alienation from Him, and death. These are the blessings of the new covenant, so our blessings, Paul says, are spiritual in that they're associated with the coming of the Spirit. Hang with me here, because it's going to get more practical, okay? As practical as that is, I mean, that's very helpful. So, whoop, wrong place. Okay. Next, what does Paul say about these blessings? Not only are they spiritual, but they are comprehensive. They are comprehensive. They're complete. There is nothing lacking in what we've been given in Christ. Notice what he says here. He says that we've been given, what? Every spiritual blessing. The Greek word here, ready for this? Is all. Okay? Profound, right? Every blessing, every spiritual blessing we've been given. Nothing is lacking. What does that mean? Well, it means that God has chosen you. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's given you His own spirit of power to keep you and transform you. He's provided the truth for you. He's inscripturated it in a book. He causes it to be proclaimed to you week after week through elders and giving you a congregation to help disciple you. We truly lack nothing. He has provided absolutely everything we need for life eternally and transformation now. The process is going now. Okay? Why is this important? Well, it's crucial that Paul reminds us here that we have God's entire benefits package. We're powerfully tempted to believe we need more to thrive. We're tempted to believe, and I'll say this again, that we need more in order to thrive in the Christian life or in our lives in general. We need more either from the Lord, we think, or from the world. But this text says Christ has obtained it all and he's given it to you freely. Every spiritual blessing. We're tempted to think if we just had fill in the blank, then it would be Okay. We would be better. And that's going to be different for each of you. So you have to fill in that blank. What are you tempted toward? If, if I just had blank, then I would be okay. I would be better. Or we're tempted to think if, if blank were taken away, then things would be all right. Then we'd be fine. Right? But that's simply not true. In a fundamental sense, Paul says God has profoundly blessed us with all we will ever need. And that's reality. Not even, you, you can trust this more than what you perceive, see, or feel. God has given us Christ, his most precious commodity, if we can even call him that. So what more could he give us? God has given us himself, a restored relationship with his spirit, promised us an inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth, and that we have eternal life before him. He's vanquished our most fundamental enemy, death. And he's going to prosper us in the kingdom beyond our wildest imaginations with with bodies that can fully and properly enjoy the richness of that kingdom without temptation and idolatry. It's going to be sweet. But this is, is a very real temptation for us, to think that we need things outside of the Lord. So it's important to know, okay, yeah, we are tempted by that, but how? How are we tempted? How are we tempted to turn to the world away from Christ? Well, we could make a list, um, but I'm going to give you two that I think are potentially the most dangerous for you in your current phase of life. Number one, entertainment and pleasure. Entertainment and pleasure. When the pressures of life get the best of us, we're tempted to escape them. Escape them. I.e., turn away. You know, Because of the pressure, we don't go to the Lord, we run to something else to escape the pressure. And one of the main portals is through the endless stream of entertainments that we have at our disposal. Social media, Instagram, Netflix, you know, TV sounds outdated now, but those things, any any way to sort of mute the pain, uh, dead net, and I'm not against entertainment. Like, I enjoy a good show. But if it's to escape the pressure of life, that is not what the Lord intends. Don't try to escape your sin. Don't try to escape your problems. Don't don't try to escape your depression or your sense of being overwhelmed by escaping with temporal pleasure. It will not last, and it will leave you empty, and it could possibly lead you away from Christ completely. Instead, what you need, according to this text, is Christ. Discipleship in the truth that you already have, and strengthen faith to believe the truth. Right? That's what you need. Only there are you going to find true freedom. Now, discipleship is all about unpacking that, okay? So we're not going to get into the details of of all that. But I just want you to be aware that that is a very real temptation for you. To think, I need more, and here's how I'm going to get It's through escaping, you know, in, in these portals. Second one, and potentially very controversial. Disclaimer. Secular psychology. Secular psychology. This could be an entirely separate series. And I think it might be. It's, it's back here somewhere. Uh, running around, you know, trying to trying to corral it. But we are in danger of turning from Scripture to humanistic self-help principles from secular psychology. More than, more than we've ever been tempted to do that today. I heard it once that what Sharia law is to the Muslim, psychology is to the American. That's, that's, that's intense. And the founders of psychology, the discipline, were human, were humanists, avowed secularists that were trying to give other alternatives to the biblical worldview. Skinner, Freud, those guys. And very often, what's called Christian counseling, listen here, what's called Christian counseling is very often cleaned up, the the cleaned up version of this humanistic secular psychology. And Christian counseling, the mecca of that is right across the mountain at Liberty University. Now, I'm not indicting every single person at Liberty University, okay? Because there's a broad range of people within this Christian counseling label from basically secular psychologists to basically biblical counseling, but with some secular principles involved. So it's, it's a broad spectrum. And there's a lot of nuance that I could give about this, okay? But I'm just painting in broad pictures right now. What's being pumped out of LU is a cleaned-up version of the humanism of secular psychology. And I realize I'm opening a can, and now I'm going to go, whoop, and close it quickly, Okay? But I want you to beware of what they're offering you. Because that's my job, and I don't care if you hate me. Because I see the ramifications of it in the counseling room. Okay? Week in and week out, with people beyond just boundless. With our church, with my friends, with people, relatives. Secular psychology, while it makes a lot of helpful observations about human behavior which I, it does. It makes lots of helpful observations. catalogs them. Very helpful. But because of its thinking, and worldview, it attributes the problem fundamentally to something totally other than what the Bible says, which informs its solution, which is not what the Bible says. Okay, So it, it gets us way off base here. And it may help you feel better in the short term, but it won't transform you in the long term. And if you think you need, like, okay, yeah, my pastors, maybe they can help me, but what I really need is a psychologist. They're really going to understand me because they're trained. Beware. There's a third movement. You've got secular psychology, Christian counseling. There's a third arena, which is what we do at the church, which is called biblical counseling or nuthetic counseling, or, you know, those are interchangeable. And that often gets a really bad rap, especially from the Christian counselors. Um, our own pastor was mocked. Uh, at a Christian counseling thing, at Liberty, because we believe this. So th- I'm, just, I'm just laying it all out there for you so you can be aware of it. I'm just, and I want you to hear the, the alarm that it, it won't transform you long term if you're relying on anything other than the truth because Christ has promised that you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. Transform you. The God who created us knows our frame and he knows what it takes to liberate us. So Paul is saying here that we have everything we need, every spiritual blessing, right? Did you say that? So we can flesh that out. If that just upended you, uh, maybe really radically, you know, unsettled you, and you're pretty angry with me, that's okay. Like, let's, let's talk. Don't bolt, please. Uh, I would love to talk with you, and I'm not going to be as intense when we interact. So uh, I really want to reason this through with you. So what we need to do, if we've already been given these blessings, what we need to do is learn to appropriate them, right? We have them. We just need to learn to appropriate them by faith. We need to learn to believe them. We need to learn to properly spend the riches that we've been given in moral transformation and how to do that. And that's what discipleship is all about. It's learning how to apply the truth to life, by the power of the Spirit, to effect real change. All right. All right. Third, God's blessings, Paul says, are from another world. So, where is that in the text? Uh, this little phrase that they're in the heavenlies, or in the heavenly places, is the, I think the ESV translates that. He has blessed us in the heavenly places. Yep. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I've shown my hand here. I think maybe a better translation, which is totally consistent with the text, you could read it like this. Uh, We've been blessed from the heavenlies. From the heavenlies. So it's indicating where the blessings are coming from. The location, the sphere. Where are they coming from? They're coming from the heavenlies to us. Now, what... What Paul is saying, I think, is that God's blessings come to us from outside this earth. From another dimension. A heavenly dimension. In this letter, he's going to use this obscure little phrase, the heavenlies. It's a different word than heaven, although they're very similar. The heavenlies, you can have evil principalities and agents in the heavenlies. What this is referring to is the spiritual realm, or what we would think of, we typically talk about, is the spiritual realm, which is a, a reality that parallels the one that we experience, and in fact is greater, it's a greater reality, and it's more determinative for the one that we experience. So Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities and powers in the heavenlies. Christ has been raised and seated in the heavenlies, meaning that's, a, that's more fundamental than where we're at right now. And it kind of calls the shots for where we're at right now. But it is invisible. We can't see it. It's in, it's in the heavenlies. So our, our blessings are, in a very real sense, from another world. Or they're otherworldly. They have, they're come from another dimension. So this means a couple things. It means they're really secure. Okay? Uh, so no tampering with the blessings. That can't happen. Because it's in another realm, coming to us, flowing to us from another realm that's impenetrable. It means that it, they're, they're eternal. Um, again, just unable to be stolen, fade, tampered with, because they come from, from the heavenly realm. And I think one more implication we can kind of draw from this about what the significance of them coming from the heavenlies is that we don't often see them. Right? We don't, we don't see. They're not easy to perceive. Maybe we could put it that way. They're not easy to perceive, and the world is blind to them. Just like the world is blind to the, the heavenly dimension, in the sense of the biblical sense. Now, we all kind of, everybody thinks about heaven. But in the biblical sense of heaven, the world is blind to that dimension of reality. We've been given, the only reason we see it, is because we've been given eyes of faith to see this dimension. So, in that sense, the, the blessings do come to us from heaven. Um, and they're, they're largely unseen. Or we can say seen with the eyes of faith. But what's so beautiful about this little phrase is that in the church, it's as though aspects of heaven are flooding the earth. See that? Heaven's blessings are flooding to earth. We're the heavenly citizens, sojourners in this present earth. We're awaiting a new creation that we will inherit, the scripture says. But in the meantime, God has chosen to use us to demonstrate to this cursed world the life of heaven. True blessing, what that really means. With a bunch of counterfeits all around us, we exhibit what it means to be truly blessed. As we love, as we forgive, as we bless our enemies, as we declare the good news of a coming kingdom that's not of this earth, we evidence the life of heaven now on earth. And that's just how God intends it. He's going to end this letter by talking about the warfare that the church is involved in for His glory. And it is sweet. Uh, A sweet destiny. What a mission uh, to be involved in this. All because our blessings are flowing from, from the heavenlies to us here on earth through the Spirit. All right. fourth and lastly, we'll be really quick here. The blessings are in Christ. The blessings are in Christ. And that means that the, the God's blessings, here's how I would describe it. God's blessings are, are achieved and they're won, achieved slash won, by the Messiah. Okay? So they're achieved by the Messiah. And they're mediated to us through Him. Okay? Achieved by Him. He won the victory on our behalf. Think David and Goliath. He fought it, we didn't, and we get the benefits, right? A victory. He won the battle, fundamentally. He achieved them, and now he's mediating these blessings to us for free. Okay? No charge, just in Christ. Simple faith in him. So, that is, that is the doorway. That's how we attain The blessings, and it's not through anything we do, it's by coming naked to him and availing ourselves. The biblical language for that would be finding refuge in Jesus, in the King. Acknowledging our rebellion, coming to him saying, thank you for obtaining the benefits for me. I want to submit to you. You don't get benefits if you're raised in a Christian home. You don't get benefits if you go to a Liberty University. You don't get benefits if you said a prayer and walked down an aisle. You get benefits if you're in Christ. Meaning, you've grasped Him by faith and you said, He is my Messiah. He is my King. And I'm submitting to Him. I come naked with nothing to bring to Him except sin. And I'm going to lay that at His feet and he's, I'm going to receive all of the blessings He has obtained for me. That's what it means... To be in Christ. To have a union with Him. So faith. Trusting in Jesus. Yielding to Him. So there's a lot more we could say about that, but, but notice that we end where we began with an emphasis on the father-son relationship. See that? In Christ. In the Messiah. That's sonship language. Okay? God has anointed Messiah King have have obtained the benefits that we so desperately need. So... Do you want to praise like Paul? You want to have this kind of exuberant worship? It's not found by trying to churn up emotions within you. It's found by knowing the truth, these spiritual that, that, that we have blessings that are spiritual, comprehensive, otherworldly, Christ centered. The truth is the fuel for the praise. As we believe it, as we act on them through faith, as we believe they're really true, we will find ourselves rejoicing and praising like Paul. So what happens if I don't? If I don't feel that, praise. Well Psalm 103 says, praise him anyway. Praise him by faith. He he actually commands himself to bless the Lord. Self, bless the Lord. Don't forget his benefits. So load these up in your mind. As we walk through these, lean in to the benefits. As we unpack them in the next three weeks. So that's where we're going. He doesn't leave us without the fuel, without what's lighting him up, so to speak. Uh, in his praise to the Lord, and his whole life is now flowing out of a life of worship to the king. All of his sacrifices, all the difficulties, all the hardships, everything he endures is flowing out of a life of worship to God. So, that's what we're going to see, and I'm excited. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opening verse and inspiring the Apostle Paul to help reorient us to what a true blessing is and to what it means to be blessed by you. We praise you uh, for this privilege to be the recipients of such a grand salvation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.